Wood, welcome uh, again. We're really glad that you're here uh, with us uh, today. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, although it's going to take us a little bit to, to get there. Uh, we want to start with a couple of housekeeping matters. And in, in some ways, I don't even know if this is fully a sermon. Maybe by the end it is. It is. Uh, if you're new, if you've never heard me preach before, uh, come back again. But uh, in some ways, this is me sharing my heart. Uh, last week, we celebrated our first 20 years as a church. And so today, we're going to talk about uh, the next 20 years. And some of what I'm going to share is just kind of some of my hopes and dreams for a true life in the future. But let me start with this. One of the things that we, that we do, a lot of our goal here at True Life is, is multiplication. It's leadership development. It's sending people out. And one of the, the, the steps or part of the process of, of trying to do that is having people be interns and you know, letting them get experience in ministry, which helps the church. And uh, us then kind of giving them training at the same time. So I just want to share with you who uh, our interns are going to be this year. Uh, there could be one added later, but uh, we'll just kind of show you some pictures, and I'll introduce them so you kind of know what's going on with you're doing. Uh, this is Abby Perez. I almost call her Arwood because I've known her her whole life, but uh, her husband's David, and she's actually serving as an intern both in helping Andy with social media and some things like that, and also in children's ministry. Uh, she's done this before. If you don't know Abby, she's like the nicest person on the planet. You should get to know her. Uh, so next is, um, this is Christopher Best. Chris is a, a student at Carson Newman and uh, actually newly engaged. And he's actually going to serve as a pastoral intern starting this summer in between the semesters at Carson Newman. And we also have uh, serving this year, this is the Swartz family. This is Tyler, kind of behind his wife, Casey, and Janie, and uh, Owen. And uh, Tyler serving as a pastoral intern uh, this year, particularly working with uh, Pastor Philip in outreach areas. And we also have, uh, this is Veronica Ramsey. Some of you know uh, Veronica is one of our church counselors, but she's also has a real heart for missions. And so uh, she's helping out doing an internship in missions area this year. And we have a, a team going to Uganda three weeks from tomorrow, so be praying for that. And then uh, last but uh, not least, this is Bruce Baird, and uh, Bruce is serving as an intern in, uh, in, in the youth area this year. So uh, when you hear about them, see them doing things, we just kind of wanted you to kind of know who they are, what they're going to be doing. Um, and the next thing, this kind of will lead into what I'm talking about, is uh, some people have been asking me recently, like, where are we going uh, next as far as what are you going to be talking about on Sunday mornings and, and, and that kind of thing. And um, so, so at True Life, you're new. Uh, we do what's called expository preaching, verse-by-verse -verse teaching. Uh, probably 98% of the time, once in a blue moon, there'll be a, a topical kind of message, but that's very rare. Uh, but... Um, so, but we do kind of a combination. Some series will be, you know, around a topic with expository messages. Some series are just verse by verse through books of the Bible. And, for example, last year we did a series about the church anchored in Acts chapter 2. We did a series called You Asked For It, where we let people submit questions and then we answer them biblically. Then we walked through three books of the Bible, Lamentations, Jude, and, uh, and, and Daniel. So, kind of the idea this year is, again, today I'm just kind of sharing some of my heart. The next couple of weeks, it's going to do individual messages, going to share just a couple of words that I feel like 
that uh, the Lord's kind of laid on my heart to emphasize for us this year. One's the word abide, and one's the word steward. So we're going to look at a couple of biblical passages in the next couple of weeks that relate to those. And then after that, uh, I plan on doing a series about the core values of our church, kind of who we are and, and where we go from here. And then at some point, maybe right after that, might do another short series for Easter. I'm going to tackle one of the Gospels. I haven't absolutely decided which one yet, uh, kind of doing the pre-study on that now. But that will take a year plus, maybe, depending on which one I land on. So you'll know where we'll be for a while uh, once we, we start that. But I mean, that kind of leads into what I'm talking about today. Again, in, in, in some ways, uh, I don't know if this is a sermon today. We'll, we'll get into Scripture. Some of it, at least at the beginning, is me just kind of sharing my heart. And so, uh, you know, last week we got to celebrate the first 20 years. And, and, and I feel like that it, it's just it's appropriate to talk about the next 20 years, except I have no idea what's really going to happen in 20 years. Um, I don't know what's going to happen in 20 minutes, if I'm honest about it. Um, some of you may have heard me say before that uh, I've, you know, some people, some leaders, some churches, whatever, they lay out five-year plans and, and, and that kind of thing. I've never felt like that, that God has led me in that way. Maybe I'm just not a good enough leader. I just, I, I don't know. If I'm honest about it, a lot of the things, a lot of the best things about true life, we've backed into, so to speak. Um, I, I mean, if, if you, you know, kind of look at it and, and, and think about it, if, if, like going to Honduras. I mean, this wasn't like, um, you know, we prayed and fasted for 40 days and, and God, uh, like, uh, sent us an email and said, go to Honduras. I mean, one of the people who was a part of the original core group, Keith Rickard, had been there before, had a heart for it, and said, if, uh, if we'll go to Honduras, I'll lead the first trip. And that was the deep spiritual reason why we started going to Honduras. Uh, we kept going to Honduras and we focused there. Uh, just because we felt like it was wise to focus on one place and not just jump around from place to place and build on that and develop relationships and, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, the, the, the MEPI uh, partnership, the, the ministry there that you saw about in the video last week that's being so fruitful in so many ways, we backed into that. I mean, we were working with a different church. They flaked out uh, doctrinally, went, you know, word, faith, prosperity, gospel, that kind of thing. So that came to an end, and we knew about communion, and we went to communion, uh, and, you know, they were already doing church planning. We were already doing some church planning. That came together, but at the same time, uh, Pastor Julio was working with somebody in, in another part of the country, and they were talking about this, and that guy became the primary financial sponsor for it. So, uh, you know, to us, it was almost all accidental, of course. In, when it was all in the big picture of things, it was all God's sovereignty. But it wasn't some great master plan or, or, or something like that. The way we're in Uganda right now, I probably can't even tell you the whole story, but uh, William Burton that, that spoke last Sunday night wanted to send uh, some of our leaders to BTCP, Bible Training Center for Pastors, so you know, I don't get in trouble with John, uh, training. And um, we... Some of us went, and that was primarily because of working with the Micronesian church here. We almost didn't go because uh, this was like right after Robin got diagnosed with cancer, almost backed us out of it. This was February of uh, 2020, 
And as you might remember, a little thing happened in March uh, 2020, and so they shut down their in-person training for a a, a bit. So we had gone to this training. We got a contact uh, through our webpage from somebody in Uganda, and which almost never, well, which happens fairly regularly. We almost never pay any attention to it. I think the only reason we did here is because John had been to Uganda. John and Lindsay had a heart for it. And uh, this guy wanted to, it was asking if um, they could be like satellite campuses of True Life in Uganda. Uh, like True Life Uganda. And we said no uh, to, to that. But we said, you know, if you want to start some training, and um, so we connected with BTCP, who connected us to Pastor Isaac, and kind of, that was certainly not part of some master plan. We backed into it. So I say all that to say, I don't really know what God's going to do in the future. Uh, you say, well, why does God do things that way? I can think of probably at least three reasons. One is I'm not the most brilliant leader of all time. I mean, I'm the Rue Life Church sign uh, uh, guy. So, you know, you got to keep that in mind. There's Ephesians 3.20 where God says he'll do exceedingly above and beyond all that we could ask or think. And I think some of it is honestly an answered prayer because I've prayed throughout the history of true life that God would do things in a way that he gets the glory for it and the people see that he is the one who has ultimately uh, done it. So, again, I, I don't claim to know what's going to happen in, in, in 20 years. I mean, if you just think back, uh, to, if you're old enough, to how different things were 20 years ago to now. And just try to think ahead you know, where things are going to be 20 years in the future. And so, you know, as we think back 20 years and we think forward to now, you know, personally and in the, you know, I can, there's some good things, you know. 20 years ago, I had two kids, now I have three, plus a wonderful son-in-law, plus a grandchild on the way. I have better hair, better glasses, if you couldn't tell that uh, from from the video. Um, You know, there's this that was just a hope and a dream 20 years ago. You know, there's a lot of good things. There's a lot of good things in the world. There's a lot of ways, though, if we're honest, particularly spiritually, morally, that we've gone downhill in the last 20 years. And if we, can, if we continue on that same tra- trajectory, where are we going to be in 20 years? And if... The heart of the problem is always a, heart, a problem of the heart, which I think is what the Bible teaches. And if the only answer for the human heart is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and if God has entrusted the gospel to the church, which he has, if things are going to change, if things are going to be different, if things are going to get better, then that's on us. If not us, who? If not now, when? I mean, we can sit around and complain about where the world's headed, and we can expect other people and other churches and politicians and whoever to change things, but I think God says it's on us. So how does he want to use us? And again, I don't fully know. There's something, I probably shouldn't say this because uh, some of, I'm sure my, some of my friends around here will use it as a joke, as one of my pastor friends already does. But there's a phrase that I despise. 
Okay, like we, when we went to the Tennessee Baptist Convention in November, uh, the, the, some people there kept using this phrase, and, and I despise this phrase. It's the phrase, I don't know if you've ever heard it before, God's preferred future. God's preferred future. If you want to make my head explode, just use that phrase. Um, <laughs> I'm just giving you ammunition at this point, I guess. But I, I despise that phrase. And, and the reason I despise that phrase is because, I mean, if you want to talk about a preferred future for like a business or an organization or something like that, people use that phrase in vision casting, that's fine. But God doesn't have a preferred future. God has a sovereign will. Right? And, and if, if you don't know that, go read the book of Daniel and listen to that sermon series again. Right? God doesn't have a preferred future. He has a sovereign will. And again, I, I can't look 20 years into the future and know what God's sovereign will is for true life. But I think I can have and we can have some idea based on what Scripture teaches. But I just say all that to say this. What I'm about to share with you, I'm going to say this is my heart, this is my dream for the future of true life, okay? Now, I've run this by the elders, and uh, they're in agreement with it. Some of our staff people uh, ha have seen it. But, you know, when you think about it, if you've got an idea, a thought, a hope, a dream, how do you know if it's from the Lord? Well, I think here's some questions you ask. Is it biblical? Is it God-sized? Meaning, can only God pull it off? Does it feel a little overwhelming, a little scary, maybe even to you? Does it require faith? Does it require sacrifice? Ultimately, does it glorify God? And of course, the ongoing overarching goal for any church is to be godly, obedient people following, trusting the Lord in every area of our lives. Of course, you know, our mission is to meet people where they are and help them become fully devoted followers of Christ. And so, just one other thing that, that I would say before I, you know, kind of walk through these thoughts is, you know, in talking about 20 years into the future, I have no idea whether or not uh, I would be the teaching pastor at True Life from 20, in 20 years from now. And, and, you know, I want to say that up front. Um, you know, I don't know if I'll be alive 20 years from now. None of us do. Uh, we just, we don't know uh, the future. But, I, you know, I, I know when we moved back to start True Life, uh, I turned 32 about two weeks after we moved back. So that means I'm 52 uh, right now. So in 20 years, I would be 72. And so I, I hope, uh, I mean, I've got good genes if you look at my parents that I'm still going strong at 72, uh, but I have no idea if, if that would be the case. Uh, I have no idea if this is God's will. Um, you know, if, if my dream would be that I could do this another 20 years and then uh, we could hand it off to someone who was raised up through true life. That would be my dream. I have no idea if that's God's will, but, but that would be my dream. Now, maybe, uh, you know, maybe I'm, it's a lot less than that. Who knows? Maybe you got to put up with me when I'm 82 and a super crotchety old guy at that point. <laughs> I don't know. Don't know the future. But this is, would be uh, just kind of my hope, my dream for true life. Again, a lot of this I feel really confident is God's will because it's biblical. Some of the particulars, 
I don't know. You know, somebody, I don't, we don't talk about numbers a lot around here. I put some numbers in here. And, and again, I don't know if that's God's will or not. But to some degree, the numbers are there to maybe stretch my faith, to challenge us, to expand our thinking, and, 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 and those kind of things. And, and I think sometimes we may already think too small when it comes to this. For, I'll say something about that, for example. So I'm just going to kind of give you 13 statements. I need to hit them quickly, and then we're going to go to Mark 6. I want to share a few things that I think apply to this. So my dream for the future of true life in 20 years would be, number one, that thousands of people will be saved, growing in Christ, and their lives transformed through this local church, our church plants, and mission work. To me, that would glorify God. That's biblical. That's what we're supposed to be about. And again, sometimes I think we think too small. Do you realize True Life's already ministering to thousands of people? I mean, if everybody showed up here that comes to church here on a given week, we'd have maybe 600 people, something like that. But, I mean, if you look at what's happening in Honduras, what's happening in Uganda, what's happening in our church plant, True Life is, is, is ministering to thousands of people already. And I believe God wants to continue to grow that, multiply that. There are billions of people who don't know Jesus on this planet. And so, why couldn't God use this church to reach a few thousand of them? Two, then in 20 years, we'll have 1,000 people in average attendance and be a multicultural church. And what I mean uh, by that is uh, just people from everywhere. I mean, if you, if you think about it, if you look around on a given Sunday, there's people here from different nations, people here from, you know, moving in from all over, uh, you know, the nation. There's lots of people from the great nation of California uh, that, 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 have, uh, that have moved here. And, and you know what? That, that's a little slice of heaven because the Bible talks about every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And that's what a local church ought to look like, if that's what heaven looks like. And that we would be known as a place that just these people love each other, these people love our community. Jesus himself said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Um, Three, that we would have expanded our building to accommodate this growth and be debt-free even after doing that. Um, that just for God's supernatural provision. Let me just say something about that in the more immediate. Um, so we're um, working with an architect right now. They're doing drawings. And uh, we don't know exactly what all this is going to look like and when is something that church would ultimately have to approve. But what we're looking at right now is kind of a two-phase building process where the first phase would be us adding on to the lobby uh, that, that was part of the point of us getting, doing the land swap out front. And then in time, building an addition to this building with a larger worship center and, and a children's wing and that kind of thing. We were still using this. But, but the reason for the lobby is because it's probably the biggest weakness in this building that could be immediately addressed. And uh, we have a huge need for more bathrooms out there in a room where moms can go nurse because like Genesis 128 is your all's favorite verse in the Bible. And if you don't know it, you can look it up. But so th- those are, you know, current needs that, that, that we have uh, right now. And uh, so we're, we're looking in, into that and we'll see how that plays out. But then number four, that we would have 80 plus percent of our church in small groups, which if you extrapolate that out, if we had 1,000 people in attendance, probably mean there's at least 1,500 
1,500 people in average attendance. Probably mean there's about 1,500 people involved in the church. And you look at the size of small groups. I mean, probably need at least 100 groups meeting around the Lakeway area with people growing in Christ and sharing life uh, together. Um, You know, it's our philosophy of ministry that we are a church of small groups. Um, That we would have planted a church in Dandridge and possibly other places in our local area. Dandridge is the place that I would identify in Jefferson County right now that would probably be the biggest need for a uh, church plant. And if you ask me the question, what's your biggest disappointment in the first 20 years of true life, it would be the fact that, you know, we planted New Heights Church in Dandridge. I mean, it constituted as a church, but then eventually it folded the fact that it folded and it's not there. That'd probably be my biggest disappointment in the first 20 years uh, of true life. And I think it hopefully at some point uh, we'll be able to uh, do that at, uh, again. Uh, that we would be a place where we're serving our community through recovery ministry, things like Celebrate Recovery, meeting practical needs, and providing a counseling center where people can experience biblical Christ-centered help with their struggles. The last part of that, there's such a need for that. Uh, so appreciate Veronica and Lori and what they do. But over time, uh, it'd be my dream to be able for that to expand because people are hurting, people are struggling. There's a mental health pandemic. But people need real, biblical, Christ-centered, spirit-filled, uh, Wisdom, truth kind of answers, and, and, and not just secular psychology that's based on things that aren't true. And so I'd like to, you know, that's one of the things we pray for, the God, and when we're looking for a very specific person uh, who has certain qualifications, is licensed, but is, you know, biblically sound, and, and disciples people and shares the God. That's what we're looking for in counselors, but that's, we're praying that God will continue to add people like that over the years. Uh, the thing about meeting practical needs, I'll just say one kind of immediate need about this. There's a ministry called Operation Inasmuch. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, Gene Whaley, some of you know Gene, leads it here locally. And uh, something that we're going to put out front at some point, something called a blessing box, basically where you put items in it and people in need can just kind of come and, and, and take it and they don't have to contact you and that kind of thing. So at some point uh, in the next few months, uh, Operation Inasmuch is going to build that and then we're going to stock it and that's going to be a way that we can minister to people in need in the community. So that's something that's on its way in, in, in the short term. Um, seven, that our people are making a Christ-centered impact in every sphere of life, and that dozens of people have been sent out into vocational ministry, full-time vocational ministry. And there's kind of two sides to that. You know, it's, it's my hope and prayer, and one of the things that occur, encourages me as a pastor to see how many of you are living out your faith in your day-to-day lives, in your workplace, and God wants to use you wherever, wherever you are. Well, I mean, we need people uh, being salt and light and displaying Jesus Christ in uh, you know, the medical field and in law and in education and in whatever, just in every sphere of life. But it's also important. And this is one of the things I've been thankful for over the last few years, how many people, uh, young people we've seen called into ministry. And, you know, we, we believe that, uh, you know, you're called, Period. Every Christian is called to be a minister. You're called to serve where you are. Our vocation uh, can, uh, can be used for, for mission and for ministry. But there is a direct correlation 
between the health and the strength and the growth of the church, the Big C Church, and how many young people are going into ministry, are going to seminary. And, and, and there's, if you look across the church right now, there's a shortage of trained, qualified leaders, and that does not bode well for the future of the church. So we want to be used by God in seeing the called called out, help, helping with that process, training, discipling, those kind of things. Eight. That we have hundreds of healthy, godly families who are raising children to follow Jesus, and that we are partnering with them with exceptional children's and student ministries in order to produce multiple generations of people living for Jesus. You know, one of the things that uh, uh, I guess getting older, one of, one of the advantages, there's plenty of disadvantages, but one of the advantages, one of the advantages of being a pastor in the same place for a long time is, you know, we see, well, you know, take the Sonnenmeyers from the video. See three generations of people saved. Um, extrapolate that out another 20 years. We see parents that we've ministered to. Now their kids have been raised up as young adults following the Lord, and they're having kids. And then they're training those kids to follow Christ. And they're going to grow up, and in 20 years, they'll be getting married and having kids in generation after generation. And we are called as the church to pass the baton of faith from generation to generation. Number nine, the new creation church plant in the South Cumberland area of Morristown. Their, their vision is to see transformation in the South Cumberland area of Morristown, which is one of the uh, you know, worst areas in the Lakeway area. That's new, cre- and new creation has been used by God to transform the South Cumberland area of Morristown. It's planting churches in other communities with, with similar needs. Uh, God's doing some great things there uh, right now, really using Ryan and Joy and their other leaders, so continue praying for them. The Children of Christ, the Micronesian church plant, it's thriving in Morristown. It's been used by God to start other Micronesian churches in the United States and a church in or on their uh, home island. That's really the vision there, just seeing continued multiplication. That, that, that's the idea of a lot of this, uh, that the training centers that began in Honduras have spread to every country in Central America and are bearing fruit in the development of leaders who lead biblical churches. Um, you know, it started with one in Honduras. Now it's in four countries. Why couldn't it be all around Central America? Uh, you know, in, 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 the, in the video, it said something about 450 plus students. They have 856 students enrolled this year. Why couldn't it continue to multiply like that? Well, that's what's going to happen. As I mean, if you look at the, the spiritual climate of uh, Latin Central America, one of the, the biggest needs, maybe the biggest need, is for trained pastors, trained leaders in, in, in churches. So if you have people getting healthy, solid biblical training, they're going to come out, they're going to plant churches, they're going to go into existing churches and, and, and improve them. And, and one of the most exciting things about all of this to me 
is that about a third of the currently enrolled students don't come from evangelical churches. They come from churches with false doctrine. And so the prayer would be, through them getting biblical training, that, the, that those churches would be transformed. And that's really something that I think is just a work of God that these people have started uh, plugging in to uh, this training. And so, uh, again, you say, well, you know, what can I do with that? Do you understand? Have you ever given towards Honduras, if you've ever gone uh, to Honduras, you've been one piece of the puzzle of all of this being put together. God takes what we do, and he multiplies it, and, and he uses it, and it grows over time. Uh, you know, we, we uh, under, there's an old saying, it's true, we overestimate what we can do in a year, and we underestimate what we can do in 10 years, or 20 years, or 40 years, or a lifetime. Day after day uh, of faithfulness. In, in Uganda, that our partnership there will have trained hundreds of pastor church planners and resulted in a church planning movement that has made tens of thousands of disciples of Jesus, including many Muslims. That we would see churches established among the Eringe people group in northern Uganda, which is 650,000 people, less than 2% Christians and locals, uh, reaching their own communities there with the gospel. And last but certainly not reach, uh, least, that there would be currently unreached people groups around the world that are no longer unreached and now reaching others because of our mission work. Now, you know, when I shared this with the elders, uh, Rusty Arwood sent back this emoji that said, let's go. <laughs> and I kind of feel that. Kind of feels a little overwhelming to talk about that. But I mean, what if God did that? Would that not be an incredible thing to be a part of? Would that not glorify God? Would that not be an amazing thing to get to? And see, the thing about it, we don't really know everything that God's doing. I think one of the things that would be cool about heaven is to get the full story. So how can that happen? There's a ton that could be said about that, but I've only got a few minutes. But let's go to Mark uh, chapter 6, and, and, I, and I think there's some principles here uh, from this story that we can take and apply uh, to our lives and to our future that uh, would... Just facilitate us being used by the Lord in accomplishing whatever it is that he, that he wants to accomplish. However much that it looks like this. I mean, you know, 20 years from now, you may say, well, he was a false prophet. I hope what you say is he didn't have nearly enough faith. That, that God did a way more than what he talked about the week after the, the 20th anniversary. But it says here in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30, that the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Jesus kind of just sent them out basically on maybe what we call a mission trip. So he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitudes saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. 
But notice what Jesus said to them, and, and, and I hope we can feel the force of this, and I want to try to show us how it applies to us. He said, you give them something to eat. In other words, he's saying, it's your responsibility here. And so they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? And a a denarius was like a common man's wage on average in that society. So you're talking about over half a year, about close to seven months wages is what they were saying it would take to feed this crowd. Essentially, uh, what they're saying is, Jesus, you can tell us to give them something to eat, but we don't have any food. We don't have any money. This is impossible. How do you expect us to do this? Notice Jesus' response in verse 38. He said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. And if you remember this story from the, the accounts in the other Gospels, you know, they uh, stole some little kids, and they didn't steal it, but they found some little kid <laughs> that, that his mom had, had packed him a lunch, I guess, and, and they, like, somehow talked him into giving up his lunch. But, like, we're, we're going to see later on that it says there's 5,000 men in the crowd, which I don't know what that makes the total crowd by the time you factor in women and kids. Uh, this is almost more ridiculous than saying we have nothing, right? Uh, there's uh, however many, let's just say, uh, you know, it's 20,000 people that are here. You know, most of them are married. Uh, they got however many kids, you know, by true life ratios, it might be 50,000 by the time you had in the kids. But uh, however many thousand people it is, it's ridiculous to say we got five loaves of bread and two fish is like, you know, what good's that going to do? But then Jesus commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties And when he had taken the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. Jesus did a miracle. But if if you notice here, and this is so common uh, among the miracles, uh, Jesus, uh, well, you know, miracles always start with a problem. There's usually instructions that Jesus gives before he does a miracle. And often he asks them to do something or to give what they have. He didn't need it, right? I mean, this little boy's lunch didn't really accomplish anything here in and of itself. But uh, they all ate and were filled, and they also took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. So, If God is going to use you and me, us corporately, to make a difference in people's lives, to make a difference in the world, to accomplish whatever it is exactly that he has planned for us as a church, what can we learn uh, from this? And and I just want to give you six things here, and I'll have to hit them uh, really quickly. But number one, if we're going to make a difference, we're going to have to sacrifice personal comfort. We're going to have to sacrifice personal comfort. Again, they'd already been out ministering to people, and um, you know they came back, they're tired, they're probably hungry. Jesus said in verse 31, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. 
says, so many coming and going, they didn't even have time to eat. But the people found them, and they followed them, and Jesus didn't push them away, so they had to make some sacrifice in order to minister to these people. My question is, what are we willing to sacrifice to be used by God? What comfort? What kind of time? What kind of money? I mean, are we willing to give? Are we willing to go? Are we willing to minister in order to be used by God? I mean, do we believe that's what God's called us to do? I mean, do you understand that, you know, Jesus' marching orders for us, if you're a Christian, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. That's not for other Christians. It's for you. It's for all of us. What are we doing in order to fulfill that? What are we willing uh, to sacrifice? I mean, if, if we believe that God deserves our lives, if God deserves glory, if we believe that heaven and hell are real, it's not going to show up in what we say. It's going to show up in what we do. Number two, if we're going to make a difference, we're going to have to develop the heart of Jesus for people. And I say that relatively, we're not ever going to be Jesus, but I want you to notice verse 34, and, and, and there's something powerful in this verse. It says, Jesus, and notice the progression here, when he came out, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. And then the last sentence says, he began to teach them many things. Jesus went, he saw, he was moved, and then he ministered. I think a lot of times we get this backwards. We think we have to be moved. We, we, we think we have to get some kind of feeling or have some kind of burden in order to minister to people. Really, we get the burden by going. We don't go because we've got some kind of feeling. I mean, just find a need and meet it. There are hurting, struggling people all around. There are people who need the gospel of Jesus all around. Uh, you know, you don't have to, like, just have this, oh, some kind of feeling or God. You don't have to feel like, you know, God's telling you just, just what he puts in front of you. You know, when we started going to Honduras, you know, Keith Rickard, who led that, he was wise. Uh, before we ever went as a church, he took me on a trip with another church because he rightly concluded that if this was going to work for the church, the person who was the primary preacher needed to have a heart for it. And if I was going to have a heart for it, I needed to go. I didn't never had a heart for Honduras. I never had a burden for it. I could have told you anything about Honduras before I met Keith. I got a burden for Honduras by going. We're not called to go when we feel like it. We're just called to go, and the feelings follow the action. The actions don't follow the feelings. And it says here in verse 34, the way that Jesus saw these people was like sheep without a shepherd. He's the shepherd. We're all sheep. We're either lost sheep or we're found sheep. Listen, if you don't have a relationship with God, Jesus the good shepherd uh, became uh, the, uh, as a lamb slain 
before the slaughterers. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He left heaven and he came looking for you. He said the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He died for you. And, and listen, he, he doesn't see you in, in just in some kind of category or he doesn't put some kind of label uh, on you the way that people do. He sees you as sheep, as a sheep without a shepherd. Yes, you're a sinner, but he died for your sins. And if you repent and trust him, he'll forgive you. But listen, if we've been forgiven, if we We've been found. We're called to go to leave the 99 and go find the one lost sheep. That's what Jesus did. That's his heart. Do we have his heart? Number three, we need to accept our responsibility to minister to people. You know, they noticed that these people had a need. It's easy to notice that there's needs. Anybody can see that. The question is, who's going to do something about it? And so, you know, they're saying it's a deserted place. The hour's late. Let's send them away so they can go to other places and find something to eat. But these words, you give them something to eat. In other words, you're responsible to minister to them. And I believe that Jesus is essentially saying the same thing to everyone who's sitting under the sound of this passage of Scripture today. You're responsible to meet these needs. You're responsible to minister to people. You're called to love people. You're called to share the gospel with people. You're called to meet people where they are and help them become fully devoted followers of Christ. You're called to serve and, and help the least of these. You're called to bear the burdens uh, of your brothers and sisters in Christ what the Bible teaches. You know, there's something, I, just a, a, a little piece of the video that we showed last week that I want to show you. And, you know, as we went through the editing process with this, you know, we, we had to, you know, I scripted the thing and then we had to put together the pictures and video and Jessica did a lot of that and we worked with the videographer. And, uh, you know, the actual version that you saw was the seventh version of it. So uh, I've seen the thing like 15, 20 times probably, at least by now. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of it moves me. A lot of it touches my heart. Um, you know, I mean, the part more so than any other is my dad's testimony. I think that would probably be pretty obvious. Um, you know, I'm known for not crying, but I cried several times when, when watching that. But one of my other favorite parts of it uh, is a part that, you all laughed at, which, you know, you probably should have. But uh, you remember the part of it, it's Molly, my daughter, and she was being interviewed, and she talked about filling the connection cards out. And we showed the picture where she said, I started it. Um, and that's very meaningful to me in, in this sense. There's something deeper to it than just a little kid doing something funny. You know what that meant? That means she felt a sense of ownership in it. Like, she felt like I was really a part of this. And that's how everybody in the church needs to feel. We're the body of Christ, and it takes all of us working together. God wants to use each and every one of us, which, which leads uh, you know, to, to the next principle here, and that is give what we have to Jesus for him to use. That's what this kid did. I mean, it, it wasn't much. 
but Jesus took it and multiplied it. And see, here's the thing. Remember, you know, Mary who sat at the, the, the feet of Jesus and then she came and she broke the, 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 vi- the vial of the, the flask of the expensive perfume and, and, and she was, you know, in tune with him and, and, and she, she anointed his body beforehand for burials, how the Bible says it. But, you know, Jesus said to her in Mark chapter 14, she has done what she could. And here's what I want to remind you of today. You can do what you can do. You can't do what you can't do, but God hasn't called you to do what you can't do. He's called you to do what you can do. You can't do what somebody else can do, but you can do what you can do. You can take what, you, what God's put in your hand, in your life. It may just be five loaves and two fishes, and it may look like that uh, there's a multitude that needs to be fed, but if you give it to him, he can take it and multiply it and use it in ways that you could never imagine. Don't stop thinking about what you don't have or what you can do. Just start thinking about what God's given you and what you can do and use what you have to the glory of God. Here's a little simple example, okay? A couple weeks ago, maybe a little longer than that now, uh, I scared a mama in our church to death. Okay? So, um, I don't you know, you saw the picture of the Swartz family up there. They come to the second service. I don't know how many of you know them. But, you know, Owen is one of the cute little kids running around here uh, after service. And um, I think he's three. He might still be two. I don't know. I think he's three. But, uh, so, you know, my microphone here, uh, I'd taken it off at the end of the service, and uh, he was up here talking to me, and I had, I don't know why I had this idea, but I thought, I bet Owen, if, if, if I asked him to take it back to the sound booth for me, he would think that was cool, and he would step up to the responsibility. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know if I should say this, but John in this service, he may be back there twitching right now. That's kind of what his mom was doing. I, I think uh, she thought, you know, my kid is going to destroy this expensive piece of equipment or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I figured that uh, he, would, uh, he would just step up to it and it would make him feel special and make him feel important. And you know what? He did exactly what I thought he would do. He just took it back there, handed it to them. He's done it again since then. Last week we were using handheld microphones. He took both the microphones uh, back there. And my point is, he did what he could do. He's three, but he'll remember that. It'll make him feel a part of things. Everybody can do something. You can take what God has put in your hand and you can use it for his glory and see Jesus multiply it. Number five, if we're going to be used by God, we have to obey Jesus' instructions. Verse 39 and 40, he commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they did what he said. Listen, in the future, and we've tried to build the church this way. You know, the the thing about numbers is numbers are secondary. If God gives them, that's great. But if they're man-made, they're terrible. So we're going to try to follow Scripture and how we do church. And then however God uses that, he uses it. It's about obeying him. But then the last thing is to trust Jesus' supernatural provision. Five loaves, two fish. Notice what he did. He looked up to heaven. He blessed it, essentially prayed. And then it was multiplied and it was enough. You know, if we're going to be used by God, it's obedience. 
It's trust. And of course, those, those two things go together. It'd be easy to talk about trusting God. We know we're trusting God when we're obeying God. It's prayer. It's, it's asking God to t- do supernatural things. My favorite definition of ministry is Warren Wiersbe. He says, ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. It's divine resources. Listen, part of what we learn uh, from this text, just to kind of wrap it up, is we're not called to be manufacturers. We're called to be distributors. We're called to take what God has given us and invest it in the lives of other people. In other words, remember, you can't do what you can't do. You can't use what you don't have, but you can do what you can do, and you can use what he has given you, your time, your talents, and your treasures for his glory, for the fulfillment of the Great Commission, for making disciples of all the nations. And that's what we're called to do. And at the end of the day, What are we willing to trust him for? What are we willing to to sacrifice? Something I want to mention to you when it it comes to prayer, of course, there's there's reset tonight, and and Preston, one of our elders, is going to come and say something about that, and he's going to lead us in prayer to close the service. But um, two weekends from this weekend, we're going to ask the church to do something. January the 28th, which is Saturday, although if it works better for you to do it on the day before or the day after, that would be fine. We're going to ask the church to enter into a day of prayer and fasting. And in particular, and we'll send this out, but these 13 things I've mentioned about the future of true life, to ask us to seek God to use us in accomplishing these types of things in the future. Of course, we would also encourage you to pray specifically about needs in your life, and uh, for people you know who aren't Christians and those kind of things. But, but in two weekends, we're going to do this. We'll be sending out more about it. But to, to ask Jesus to take who we are and what we have and multiply it and to do supernatural things in people's lives and, thing, and seeing thousands and thousands of people reach with the gospel, discipled, trained up, sent out, churches planted, making a difference around the world. So, what do you need to do with this? We're sheep. He's the shepherd. Are you a lost sheep or are you a found sheep? If you're lost, you don't have to be. Jesus died for you. You can trust him. You can repent and give your life to him. If you've got questions about that, Talk to us before you leave. If you've never been baptized, I encourage you to get baptized. Those of you who are believers, is this where God wants you to be plugged in, to be in community? Some of you need to get in a small group. Maybe some of you need to go through the Discovering True Life class and determine if this is where God wants you to be. Listen, I don't know if True Life is a church for you. That's between you and God. But, but like you may, first time, been here a few times, you may be like, I hate this. That's fine. But here's what I do know. I know it it is God's will, unequivocally. Just read the New Testament, that you are to be plugged in to a Bible-believing local body of believers, giving, serving, ministering, sharing life together, seeking to fulfill the Great Commission. If it's not here, it's somewhere. It's not here somewhere, but plug in somewhere. I mean, you're not living out the New Testament unless you are doing it, yes, in your own personal walk, abiding with Christ. We're going to talk about that next week. 
but in community with other believers. Some of you need to be serving. Um, you need to be using your gifts. And again, all of this kind of works together. So, that's what we're going to do. We're just kind of going to do what we did last week. There's some response forms in the, in, under the chair in front of you. If, if there's a step you need to take, if you just kind of take that out. I mean, if it's you need to get plugged into a small group, if it's discovering true life class, if it's serving in some kind of ministry, if you need to talk about becoming a Christian or getting baptized or whatever, if you just kind of look in the seat in front of you and take that form, if you didn't fill it out last week, also maybe you weren't here. Remember, we ask our members to renew their membership covenants yearly. And so if you're you know, committed, plugged into, into True Life, you say, this is my church, we would ask you, uh, you know, to, to do that, you know, to say, I'm still on board with this. And so there's a membership covenant there. It's only for those who are already members. So what I'm going to do is just give you a couple of minutes to be filling those out. And then after a couple minutes, if our uh, greeters you know, would come and collect those, if you're not finished by the time they come through, you can uh, put them in the offering boxes uh, by the, the doors in the back on either side of the, the sound booth. But we just need, like I say, encourage you, if there's a step that God's leading you to take, to take it. You know, if you've got a question, uh, I mean, you're not committing to anything really just by filling out the response form. Just letting us know you're interested. We'd love to follow up with you, have some personal conversation uh, with you. So while you're filling that out, Preston, why don't you go ahead and, and come up and share about Reset, and then um, we're going to close.